The following discussion is not necessarily the views of all involved. The goal is to start open and honest discussion in the Christian worldview. Like all things, weigh what you hear with what you know and join us in our pursuit for the truth. Enjoy the podcast. We love Elon. We don't want any beef with him. Actually, we do. That would make us really popular, wouldn't it? No, I don't want it to be the enemy of a billionaire. I'm putting gas in my Tesla. Take that, Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the goal of this podcast, is to fundraise for a Tesla. For a Tesla. <laughs> Please send me uh, money via not PayPal. Take that, Elon Musk. <laughs> Welcome to the Second Rate Saints podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Joel, and to my left... I'm Colton, and to my left... I am Joshua. And to my left is Joel again, because we're missing Caleb and we're missing Stuart. Um, so that's that's how she goes sometimes. Um, if you've been keeping up with us online, you'll find a lot of our stuff at secondratesaints.com. Uh, if you're wanting to email us, you can do that at secondratesaints at gmail.com. And if you'd like to follow us on a more uh, casual level, we've got our Twitter open um, and, uh, and Instagram. Yeah, and that's kind of how we're seen on online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels weird not having a transition from Caleb to me doing socials. I know. Don't okay, so Joel, it. what it, we do social media, right? Yeah. What do we do on social media? Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> uh, please refer to previous statement. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, we've we've been trying to be a little more active online. Um, like I, I say that, but there's not a whole lot to do. Um, engaging in media nice answer is super weird mm-hmm. because a lot of times it's just people yelling at each other and yes. I don't like yelling at my brothers in Christ no um, that's why we don't really the use same Twitter time, right we do use Twitter a little bit there was a little while there where I was posting um, just Christian quotes right from things uh, different things we were reading just hitting the group chat and saying hey what's what's speaking to you today um, and I guess that kind of ties into our topic for today because uh we're going to be talking about literature. Mm. And uh, here's a weird thing for this podcast. Not necessarily Christian literature. Um, not necessarily? Not necessarily. I would say most of it can be interpreted through a Christian lens, but not all of it. I think for this whole podcast, and maybe this goes less for you guys, but it's definitely the case for myself, um, is uh, C.S. Lewis's um, I Believe in Christianity Not Because, oh, what was it? Not because I see it, but because I see everything else by it. But by it, I see all else. Yeah, right. there we go. Yeah. Did I butcher that quote pretty bad? That's, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah you bad. can refer to the Twitter for that quote, because I think I actually did put I it on I believe there. in the sun as I believe in Christianity. <clears throat> not there we because go. I see it, but by it, I see all else. Thank mm-hmm. you, Josh. There you go. What a, what you a know machine. your Lewis quotes very well. He didn't even it look that my, up, guys. I got to I got to. It was my uh, grad quote. Was it actually? Yeah. That's oh. awesome. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, so um, what we're going to be doing is just going through a couple of works um, of just, I wouldn't say generic literature, but at the same time, these are these are books that we've read and uh, have in some ways affected the way we see the Christian faith or the way we've seen the world. Um, I think I think we should start with you, Colton, because you had a, a really mm-hmm. interesting, uh, I would say, work of fiction. Is it work of fiction yes. or is it historical fiction? It's historical fiction. Interesting. Um, this is the book, uh, Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. It is about, so 
we're talking about books that aren't Christian, right? I, I think it's more art by Christian authors. Right. Um, I, I would also say that this book isn't Christian explicitly, although, I mean, it's set in 1100s mm-hmm. uh, uh, England and is about building a church. So uh, okay. you, would, you would think it would be Christian, but Ken Follett's actually not a Christian, or at least he wasn't when he wrote it. I, I don't know what he is now. But um, he wrote thrillers and stuff mm. before this, but then he was inspired uh, to write a book about the beauty of churches and church building in the medieval mm. times. And uh, the story follows a man, well, a few characters, but a man named Tom who uh, really, really wants to build a cathedral. What's his last name? Builder. <laughs> He's a builder Tom named Bob the Builder, yes. It's basically Bob the Builder is in this book. <laughs> yeah, that's mostly because... And everyone's last name back then was like that. Uh, it's yeah. more like their description of what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very funny in the in the book where he's just like, my name is Builder. Hi, good to meet you. Um, but uh, The Pillars of the Earth, very strongly, at least to me, gave me a good sense of what the effort and work that goes into designing and building cathedrals is and, and nice churches uh, for God kind of thing. Uh, the different levels of architectural design that point towards God in ways that you wouldn't have thought so before, mm-hmm. like uh, how the arch in the arches in the roof are shaped, uh, how the um, the opening of the nave actually makes your eyes glance upward towards the light, which okay. glances you towards God, uh, how the uh, like different windows are shaped, just the way it describes it. It's not, it's the book isn't just about like describing how a cathedral is built, mm-hmm. although it, there is a quite a lot of time dedicated to like him talking with the prior of the church mm-hmm. uh, about what should be done uh, with whatever. The reason I would recommend this book um, to a Christian, even though the book is not written by a Christian and the story is historical fiction, mm-hmm. is, yeah, it gave me that inspiration. Uh, it really gave me a newfound respect for churches and why they matter more so than the empty buildings that you see a lot in evangelical and mm. non-high church uh, settings. Yeah. Very bland, very boring, which has a purpose, like um, an empty church that is has gray walls, gray floor, gray ceiling uh, is supposed to have the focus of like the Bible or the preacher or the congregation as the center. Mm-hmm. But um, from reading this book, you get you get an understanding of why the, the awe of the building of that quote-unquote, houses God doesn't. But where you worship God is going to be beautiful because it's a building dedicated to him. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, well, it kind of reminds cool. me, like, when you go into those kind of more majestic buildings, cathedrals, mm-hmm. something with a bit of stonework in it, right? right. Like, um, And I know that that typically has more like a European context to it because we don't have as much like that in North America. But I, I remember we went to um, the Sistine Chapel uh, exhibit in Vancouver. Do you remember that? Oh, I didn't shoot. Go. Yeah, you missed I didn't that. Go. That was Caleb and I yeah. and the friend uh, Nathan. Yeah, we. Oh, man. It's so sad. You were I invited to that, to. though, yeah. but you didn't come. Anyways, I was in this exhibit for the Sistine Chapel, and they had all of the um, the paneling in the mm-hmm. roof, um, which I think was in the 1400s. Is that right? Sistine Chapel. I think so. Yeah, something like that. Um, it had all of the pictures, like, kind of not on the ceiling, but like right in front of you. And. Um, I thought that was odd because I'm like, why wouldn't you want to display it in its original context? And uh, the reason they gave was 
basically the painter had broke his neck almost by just looking straight up for three years straight or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Um, just completing the roof, no, no less the, the sides. And, and just thinking about how much effort goes into a cathedral, a proper house of God, right? Like, mm. um, I think we miss some of that with our utilitarian, evangelical, let's fill a stadium mindset rather yeah. than... Um, so Let's the make a house dedicated about the to God. church, or yeah. the people, the uh, the pastor, the the Bible. Yeah, no, you're you're right. Yeah. Um, as an evangelical who has not worshipped in a very nice building my entire life, mm-hmm. uh, and how people want the the carpets, like you know, we we've joked about people debating car- carpet color and stuff, but mm-hmm. the idea is to take the look away as far away from the carpets and the walls mm-hmm. as possible so that you focus on God yeah. or you focus on the Bible or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and how especially high churches tend to have the very opposite idea of that the building is supposed to guide you towards God. Um, and especially back in this time, in the 1100s, how people were illiterate and how people didn't really understand. So pictures and symbolism was really how... Uh, the beauty and awe and ideas of God got across. People would go into this cathedral, anybody, whatever, mm-hmm. and they would be so awestruck that they would they would be like, "Wow, this this house is dedicated to this wonderful God." And the symbolism they get immediately from the tapestries or the yeah. the nave or mm-hmm. the uh, antechambers and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. I think the book is fascinating, and especially for evangelicals to get an understanding of why churches shouldn't just be bare, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, it's a really good read. Well, I mean, we talk about kind of the symbolic reduction in Protestantism, mm-hmm. where we'll kind of strip the, the tapestries off the walls and everything. And I feel like some of that's coming back in a little bit. Um, a little bit here and there, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. You you see um, a, a move away from utilitarianism. But I think it's more for Instagram than it is for sim- like uh, proper symbology. Hey, there's guys. a, oh. I think there's a deep connection between the how you run a church and what it looks like. Mm. Our churches look like an office center mm-hmm. because we run them like businesses. Right. We have executives. We have a board. We have mm-hmm. you know all that stuff. We have outflow and inflow cash for. Uh, the stuff we're producing and the stuff we're taking in. Um, and so like they run like a business and so they look like an office space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of the beauty of having a building be grand in mm-hmm. its nature, because when you go to a church, you're discussing and worshiping the grand. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the function is this is a place of worship where as sometimes in our churches, the, structure of the church has become a business. Right. So Mr. Reformed, uh, how do you personally feel about uh, beauty in churches versus the, um, like the focus on the the building versus the focus away from the building kind Mm -hmm. of idea? There was a, so like... Because Calvin was pretty against. He was. He wasn't super against, like we need to tear, he wasn't iconoclastic, but he was like, that's not the focus. It's all these big stuff. And however, with Reformed, there was also this idea that art is a form of worship. Yes. Mm. Um, And so there's a both and quality to it. And so you see in Reformed churches, you'll see like the people's art that they made inspired by their love for God presented at the church. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we'll get a table made or a pulpit made or stuff like that as 
somebody in the congregation will make it mm-hmm. as an act of worship or part of their tithe, stuff like that. Um, and the whole idea is to get every, because there's this, there's two ideas in reformed theology is that everything you do is worship as a human. Um, and, uh, everyone's a theologian. So everyone should be learning and studying as much as they can about mm-hmm. the word and in their relationship with God and disciples as much as they can. Um, and so with that comes expressing your love for him, stuff like that. Sure. And so that comes out in construction. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think Protestants should build cathedrals? I think that your church should be what you need. So the, the in a lot of cases, it should probably be beautiful. But if you're, you know, in a place where you're being persecuted, don't make yourself a target. Sure. That's, that would be the reason for you to not beautify the church. I just mean that like the, you don't need to, you don't need to make it harder on yourself. Mm. Right. So like, but if a church is like, if you're in the downtown section of a town, there, there's an argument for both where it's like, if you're with the poor, right, there's an argument to have a beautiful building. But also if you're, if the church is getting money, if your denomination gets money through the tithe, right, then those people aren't going to be able to build a cathedral. Um, but there's a, there's a, there's an awe that's brought in them. Um, yeah. The other problem though with cathedrals is there's a theological, or there's a, there's theological presentations in the construction of cathedrals with their shape and the, the parts like the narthex and all that stuff mm. that fundamentally disagree with Protestant theology about mm-hmm. where the holy place is and where the, what the sure. altar is. Sure. Um, and so like stuff like that would have to change, but if a, ch- but it, I think a church should express our worship to God at some level. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that you would have to have a very developed theology, even to point out some of the things in, mm-hmm. in uh, we'll say a Catholic church, but it could be mm-hmm. even just other forms of Protestantism yeah. Um, yeah. that use, I, I don't know if it's right to say something that's in focus, but maybe something that's a focus, mm-hmm. um, you know, something that's used to focus on the divine. Like even, yeah. even a lot of times you'll see a lot of stained glass windows in Protestant churches that yep. still mm-hmm. have Mary, but she's not queen of heaven. Yeah. She's just Mary, yeah. right? Like, and there's like these little details you could point out, or um, sometimes there'll be stained glass windows that are Freemasonry. Yeah, right? a, lot, <laughs> right. a lot of them. Right, yeah. Colton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder why you're looking at me like that. Yeah, I, I just thought it was funny. I'm sorry. No, I'm um, we we were at a church where there was Freemason symbols. And awesome. stained glass. Yeah, you mean the one I got married in? Yeah. Okay. I didn't want to announce your marriage. Congratulations, Colton. <laughs> Thank you. That's why he's been missing from the podcast. It is. Yeah. Congratulations. I got married in a Freemason building. Yeah. Ooh. No, I didn't. That's rough. I didn't. Ooh. Are we done ragging on utilitarian churches, or uh, um, is there is there much else we really we want to talk about? Um, there's a there's a there's another idea that part of the reason why churches are beautiful should be beautiful is because God is the true, the good and the beautiful mm. uh, beauty is a, in theology described as a moral good. Sure. Um, and so we should make things beautiful. He made the world beautiful. Mm-hmm. He's beautiful. We yeah. should express that as well. Right. 
Yeah. For yeah. him. There's a whole theology of beauty that would be very interesting to get into. And I think West, the West has lost it. Sorry, the Protestant West has lost it. Sure. Mm. At least the evangelical churches. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's its own <clears throat> beauty, like an old white church with pews in mm. like Southern US. There's like a beauty a to that. Yeah. Yeah. Like right. There, right, right. There's right. a beauty to that. But there's there's something different with stone and massive architecture. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so basically what you're saying is balance. Yeah. You don't have to sink all your money into the Sistine Chapel. Mm-hmm. Um, you also don't have to have yeah. a box, basically. Yeah. yeah. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. And well, it's also like uh, if you're, if you're, you know, in a bad place trying to operate the church, doing a house church is totally fine. That was the church for the beginning of Christianity. Right. So like there's no, there's no moral quandary here mm-hmm. in saying you should or shouldn't do it. Um, but I think there is a, when your church is an office building in downtown Vancouver, it, it, there, there's a bit of a, like, a, I don't know. There's a bit of like, maybe we should do something about making this place look nice hmm. and not yeah. like you're walking into a dentist office. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, just small Christian sticking points that divide churches a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll always have that vocal minority of people in church who are like, well, you could be using mm-hmm. that money for X to help the yeah. poor, to mm-hmm. uh, fund programs and stuff like that, rather than, you know, hang a picture um, beside the cross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that's what they would say. They would say like, oh, this frivolous thing, but do you think that's a fair argument? Or do you think that's, you know, just, mm-hmm. just I, someone's personal <clears throat> opinion? I think I understand what you're saying. I, I don't find many problems with that, no. No? Yeah, because uh, at least with a lot of the churches I've been in, um, you'll always have people who are like, but pastor, we can't we can't afford putting a new cross in our church because we could use that money for the food bank. Or we could... Uh, I mean, it's a cross, though. It's like, sure. it's just two pieces of wood. What about a door? Uh, we want a door for the sanctuary, uh, for the symbolism of like inviting you into the house of the Lord, but then the people who mm-hmm. say no. I don't know. I there was a church I I used to work at quite a while ago mm-hmm. that they had a picture of white Jesus, and the pastor was there, and he goes, "I don't think it's good for us to have this hanging up." And it was a more uh, traditional church. It was it was a small town, um, <clears throat> and most people probably didn't have a problem with it. I don't think right. anyone ever asked him to take it down. Maybe maybe a young guy that was like, "Hey, that's kind of weird," <laughs> right? Um, but ultimately he took it and he hid it away in the church, um, and just never told anyone that he changed it. And, uh, a couple weeks go by and then six months down the road, uh, someone asks for the painting to be put back up. Right. And I think a lot of times when, when it's something that we, uh, it's kind of like sacrificing the Holy cow kind of a thing, right? It's like, you didn't, you didn't ever really need it there wasn't ever really supposed to be a focus, mm-hmm. but it was a, a stylistic choice that went out of style, right? And right. no longer conveyed the meaning of the church. Should you keep it or should you not? Right. Right? Because I don't think we need to have pictures of, of uh, Mary, Queen of Heaven, right? Because we don't believe that anymore. Um, we're Protestants. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe what I'm saying doesn't make any sense at all, but there's, no, no, there's I, something I there where, you know, you should be able to change the style of the church in, in slight ways, carpet, wallpaper, whatever. Um, 
but at the same time, all should be done to reflect the church's understanding of what the focus of the service is. Right. right. Um, okay. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't fully have a developed thought on that. Here's the thing. I know if Caleb were here, he'd be losing mind. Like churches need to have more <laughs> beauty. They have to, yeah. they have no symbolism in their style. It's just in whatever the person says and the person's not enough sometimes. Yeah. Um, because that was one of the points of cathedrals or even mm-hmm. just if you've ever been to an Orthodox Anglican or a Catholic church is that even if it's not cathedral, the the tapestries they put up, the uh, mm-hmm. the way that the altar sits, like all of these things are, are dripping with symbolism. Mm-hmm. Things that people can typically get intuitively most of the time. Sometimes it's a little ivory tower stuff, but yeah, I mean, I find that stuff still fascinating, like yeah. why they'll have banisters in certain areas. And it's like, well, actually, it's a protection thing, but mm-hmm. um protection of the place of God or something like that. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I think he would be very livid about the idea of the deconstruction of church. Mm. Uh, Cause I, I do think at least me personally, that a lot of the reasons we've just either moved where the uh, focus of church is to the, to the Bible, to the preacher and I think that's fine. I actually have zero problem with that. Yeah. But I know Caleb would be like, yes, but there's no symbolism in the church. <laughs> yeah. Pastor is not always enough because you can get a bad pastor and then that makes a bad church. Whereas if you have a church with symbolism, people still get the idea or whatever. I don't know. Hmm. I don't um, know if you'd make that case exactly. I don't know. I'm not sure. I, think I don't want to speculate on what Caleb would say. But I do, I do agree no. with you. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, either way. I think that uh, this book, Pillars yeah. of the Earth, brings out good conversations. Yeah. Uh, I've had with my family, I've had with other people mm-hmm. about uh, the beauty of churches. And yeah. 99% mm-hmm. of the time, it's evangelicals who say, no, we should, having uh, too much is not a good thing. Then, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about some of this stuff and it's, mm-hmm. it opens people's eyes a little bit. Yeah. I think it's also, because you said the author's not Christian. Uh, he wasn't when he wrote it, as far as I'm aware. Okay. So what's cool about that idea is that he felt compelled mm-hmm. um, to write this thing about the beauty of churches and the desire to build one. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of this, this I think it's because of this knowledge hidden in our hearts that we desire sacred places. Sure. And we recognize that we need that. And we don't always get that from an office building. <laughs> sure. Um, and that's why we try to make them beautiful is we try to make them look like Eden. Yeah. Oh, that was one of the big reasons why. Yeah. Um, Eden, uh, a temple. Some people point to like the, mm-hmm. the Jewish temple. And that's why you'll see things like a holy of holies in a yeah. cathedral, even though, again, I don't, we, we talked about that. That's not really a Protestant thing. Um, yeah. But there, the symbolism there is, uh, you know, the connections between these beautiful places mm-hmm. and these places of God, uh, sometimes taken too far, sometimes not. Um, mm-hmm. Well, with how that's kind of gone. Well, specifically um, in Eastern Orthodox churches, there is a Holy of Holies, yes. but the door's open. Yes. Hmm. Um, and the cross and the word of God and the altar are in it and it's made as a perfect cube. Um, it's very cool. Yeah. Um, but the whole idea is that now there's access. It's not barred, which is the idea of the temple curtain ripping. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, 
It's a pretty awesome moment. That's like one of my favorite mm-hmm. moments in the Bible. It's just the ripping of the curtain. Because apparently it was like huge, huge curtain. Thick. Um, yeah. Anyways, I, I feel like we spend a lot of time on utilitarian churches. <laughs> I didn't expect that to be what the whole podcast was about. But it's one of those things that a lot of people have a lot of strong opinions on. So if you've gotten this far in the conversation, feel like we haven't um, mentioned. I'm talking, I'm addressing the listeners here. Uh, if you've mm. you know gotten this far um, into the conversation and feel like there's something we haven't covered in churches... Um, aside from just general, um, idols versus not idols, uh, then yeah, let us know in the comments or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't, shouldn't say whatever, but that's okay. You, Josh. Is it my turn? I would say it's your turn. Cause, okay. uh, again, what book by, is it a non-Christian author? It, the guy became a Christian and died okay. as a Christian, mm. but he, Okay, so this book is called The Way of the Samurai by Inazo Natobi. Okay. Um, he actually died in a, a BC. Uh, so this book was written in uh, 1800s, late. 1800 BC? Nope. Oh. <laughs> he died here in British Columbia. Oh. In the 1800s? In, uh, this book was published in 1900. Oh. So 1900. Mm. Um, so he he wrote this book. He's from Japan. I believe he went to school in Britain. That's a fascinating time to live in Japan. Yeah. Like, and really? then came back uh, after World War II. He tried to unite Japan and the West. Okay. Uh, he was part of initiative. There's actually a plaque of him at uh, UBC. Really? Yeah. Um, so what the book... The Way of the Samurai, it's a 120 pages. Um, he compares the samurai and Bushido, the, the ethic that the samurai lived by, right. to the West's version, the knight and chivalry. Hmm. Hmm. And he does this comparison of the two, these two cultures, which are radically different, but produced these warriors that are like symbols of their culture right? Uh, that have this moral ethic that they lived by. And they weren't just you know, killers. These guys were artists, martial artists. They, they were leaders mm-hmm. in their over hundreds of people. Yeah. Knights were nobles and samurai led villages and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they were made as protectors and they were noble and righteous and great. And so like, they're very similar, but from <coughs> radically different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and he described and he compares them. Um, and it is, it is a great book. Okay. Because what he ends up doing, I, in an interesting way, is compare because chivalry is based off the ethics found in Christianity, and hmm. Bushido is based off the ethics found in Buddhism and Shintoism. Right. Uh, and so what he ends up doing is actually comparing Christianity and with Shinto with ideals. with the religion of Japan. Um, and so like he's he's talking about the the different ethics and the like, you know, the difference between like the um, what is noble in both, what is, what is righteous in both Uh, in the West. We have a guilt based culture, whereas in Japan they have a shame based culture. Yes. Um, And so like, what is, what is the, what is the ethics of that? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And you've also got the main, connection he makes that's really interesting is the the ultimate 
what is the most noble or the most knightly thing? And what is the most samurai-like thing? The, the, the peak of both. Mm-hmm. What does he and, say? And in the, in the night, it's dying for your brother, right? So yep. dying for someone else. Um, and with the samurai, it's in honor of having done wrong or for another, uh, being willing to kill yourself. Right. And he talks... Seppuku. Seppuku. Um, and he talks about how Christian forgiveness and dying for your brother is an infinitely greater moral ethic hmm. than taking on the responsibility of seeing yourself as having done wrong and removing yourself from the world. Hmm. Hmm. And right. it, he does a very good job. And he, he describes like he, he still, as being Japanese, he's still like, there is a nobility to seppuku because you're you're saying i've done something wrong i'm gonna make it right by removing myself and in the culture the way it would be seen is if you had done something wrong and you committed seppuku nobody could ever say anything wrong about you right because you did the ultimate you righted thing the wrong yeah. you righted the wrong and so from then on if you did the most horrid things your slate was clean and in christianity if you are forgiven by christ your slate is clean Mm. And so like, there's this comparison between the two, but he describes mm. how Christian forgiveness, because the man still lives. Right. With forgiveness. Does he kind of go into the uh, proactive versus reactive thing? The idea that the Christian lay down life for one other is, yeah. is a proactive, something you choose to do, whereas uh, yeah. without, it's something you choose to do in a situation, despite nothing having been done really against mm-hmm. you. Uh, whereas in the uh, the Bushido culture, it's this uh, something has already happened and now you must react to it. Yeah. I guess the way I've described that made it, they're both reactive to an extent, but. Well, I mean, yeah. in a lot of ways, that's the definition of sacrifice. Yes. Is laying down something for future gain. Yeah. Um, right. Whereas. Not in the same way as like an investment, yeah. but uh, you know. And he also describes the difference is Christian forgiveness is justice. Uh, seppuku is rectitude. Hmm. You're fixing the problem, but justice isn't brought about. Hmm. Right. You're just removing the bad thing, but the good thing isn't being brought. I don't know if the podcast is the place for this, but there's an interesting conversation Mm -hmm. to talk about when it comes to, because I've seen other people talk about it and this book's reminding me of it. Mm -hmm. The idea that Christianity breeds a, uh, an innovative cycle because it is this proactive kind of culture that doesn't, it's not shame-based, it's guilt-based, sure, mm. but that's uh, for doing wrong because there's fear-based, shame-based, and uh, guilt-based cultures, right? Yeah. Uh, for having done wrong, how you're, how you're perceived as having done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, it's the, and it's what are you doing wrong against? So like in a guilt-based culture, you're committing a crime, you're breaking the law. Right. In a shame-based culture, you're, you're, you're bringing, bringing dishonor. dishonor to others. Yeah. In fear and in fear-based, you're... Uh, you're bringing uh, you're bringing the community down to an extent. Yeah, um, I think it's more of a tribal yeah. kind of hmm. way of looking at it. Yeah. But the um, how the uh, industrial revolution was started rather than by China, but by uh, Europe, despite them having been having like a few thousand years of a disadvantage, mm-hmm. um, is the idea that uh, Christianity breeds sacrifice and this looking to yeah. the future, whereas. Uh, especially Buddhism and stuff like that tend to be reactive. They react against other things rather than have their own pro- proactive kind of approach to yeah, pushing cr- forward. The The Christian ethic is a positive feedback loop. Right. 
So I, yeah, I didn't want to say a positive yeah. like that. Uh, yeah. Buddhism is a negative feedback. Uh, <laughs> well, it could positive. be neutral. Sure. Like it could be. I mean, isn't that what they want? Negative. Though is neutralness. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's always been my understanding of Maybe. enlightenment, but that probably shows I'm not enlightened. Yeah. Um. um and so yes, yeah, so, like he does a really good job at explaining the like the the duties of loyalty and honor and self control and uh like politeness and how chivalry because mm. of its effectiveness still has a place in the world right. but uh Bushido is completely lost hmm. to time you only see it in the yakuza right hmm. and so there's a and a small stint with japan in the in the 30s and 40s but mm-hmm. that didn't but end it, very well yeah, no, and they're like, they're emulating a version. He goes into that, the difference between Bushido in samurai culture and the Bushido in imperialist. The, the imperialist Japan, um, how it's a, I don't, I don't want to say it. It's a, it's a, it's a bad copy. <laughs> it is. It's, it's like a parody of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Whereas, yeah, and so it's, he does a really good job and he ends up, what he ends up describing to you is how Christianity's better. Mm-hmm. Um, but in an attempt to bring uh, Japan and the West to heal. Very interesting. Um, why would yeah. you recommend this to people? Because what it does is it, it to the Christian, sure. it, it shows you the positives that are in another belief system that are different than yours, right? We can easily Christians, we can easily dismiss other people's beliefs. Mm-hmm. We can easily dismiss other people's religions and cultures because they might have aspects of it. Cause they will have aspects of it that we would consider wrong or sinful. But what he does so well is describing to you what is good in this culture and what is admirable and noble and courageous and loyal and how there are, as Paul would say, like with the, his argument at Mars Hill with the unseen God, right. Or about the poetry of the Greeks describing God as being in and all things. Right. Um, and him breathing life into the world about how they've got things that are true, that they have aspects of their religions or their cultures that do profess good, true, and beautiful things. Right. But it's not all true. And so completely saying, you know, uh, Mongolian culture is evil, right? Well, we have to admire what is good. Well, yeah. Right? The same with Jesus's uh, parable about the shrewd manager. He compliments this character who betrays his owner. Right. He compliments his intelligence. He's like, he did very well. He's just evil. Mm. He just used these good skills, so to speak, for bad purposes. And so what he does a really good job at showing you is saying, hey, Japan is a beautiful and rich culture and they're noble and they're, there's a self-sacrifice ethic that they have. It's just not as good. Right. And he does a really good job at showing you like, hey, like God's beauty is in other parts of the world and we can unify over that. And that, in a sense, for the Christian, can be used as an ethic to like bring people in. Hey, look, you, 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 uh, you see a beauty in self-sacrifice. Well, let me show you a better version of that. Right. Right. If you, if you think 
being a disciplined warrior is a good idea. Well, let me show you the discipline of Christ. Hmm. Right. So like take the steps and the building blocks that they have and build on it Hmm. and form what is in the Bible out of what they have already. And so there's a, there's a good, a good comparison. And it also shows you that it's like, Hey, Christianity is great. Right. Do you think that there's a, um, it's good to point out the good parts of other religions or cultures uh, for Christians? I think so. Yeah, why? Um, because you need to see that we're all sinners. So the, okay. the, in Christianity, right, that is good, right? Mm. But the West has done its share of evil, right? So we, we conflate our own culture with Christianity a lot. A lot of our culture is based on Christianity, but there's aspects of our culture that are not right. Um, they are as pagan as Japan. And so we conflate the way we live with Christianity and mistakenly we see others as less than us, their cultures as less than ours or evil. Right. Um, and you're talking about like generally people do this, right? Yeah. Generally Christians do this. Um, when in reality we're called to the same idea of dying to ourselves right? Removing those aspects of ourselves that are evil, our cultures that are bad, right? And seeing how they're bad and becoming more like Christ. Right. Well, it's it's one of the theories why people think Christianity spreads so well. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's like a billion different reasons, but why it still lasts today, why it's what people talk about inclusivity. It's a very inclusive idea. The idea that everybody has worth, but everybody's a sinner yeah. Uh, points out how there might be good in other people's ideas and there's good in cultures, mm-hmm. religions, anything. Um, I just ideas, philosophies. Yeah. Um, like, uh, with the, I almost said the last samurai. That's, that's yeah. the movie. Um, <laughs> the way of the samurai, the way of the samurai. Yeah. Uh, how there are good things like self-sacrifice and yeah. stuff in this culture, in this religion. Yeah. Um, well, and but it's not enough. The, Obviously. The discipline of Japan is right like next to none. Um, and, and I think there's a, there's a beautiful image and I think it's Ezekiel or Isaiah where it describes the city of God as having uh, a Harbor with boats from different cultures, different, Mm. different places around the world coming to it. Mm. Um, and I think there's a beauty in with all the people from different cultures that become Christian in the new creation, right? We will see aspects of those cultures made better by Christ. Right. All the bad removed and the good, and they won't be synonymous with each other. Sorry. They, they will be synonymous because they'll be Christ-like, but they'll be different in that it's Japanese, it's Chinese, it's Indian. It's. And the danger of labeling something else as holy evil is that you're either going to treat it like it's holy evil or Mm -hmm. like someone coming into it's going to treat it like it's holy evil. And that's dangerous. You don't want to treat someone or something like it's holy evil. Otherwise, you know, what can you, what do you do against evil? You just hate it. You have to destroy it. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, or if someone sees the good in it, then they think you're just wrong and they'll abandon what you think. Cause you think it's holy evil. Yeah. Um, it's how it's how acceptance works is that if mm-hmm. you label something as truly holy evil, unless it actually is yeah. holy evil, there are things that are holy evil, but say the Bushido code isn't wholly evil. There are things in it and ideas in it that are mm-hmm. good. And you mentioned like Mars Hill and stuff like that. There are things there that were good. It's just, they didn't know it or yeah. things that were good, but you could recontextualize it as actually, this is a good Christian idea as well. 
Yeah. Um, and it's a way of bridging those gaps, like connecting mm-hmm. those pieces so that to show that, you yeah. know, other people and other ideas aren't without merit. And we can bring up some of those ideas and put down the ideas that are bad. That's how you yeah. dismantle another religion to an extent. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Well, don't you think it goes a little bit wider than that? Like that kind of, we'll say the hermeneutic because it's the method by which we read it. But that hermeneutic can be expanded into why you would even read a book by a non-Christian to begin with. Hmm. Because you believe that there is something separate between the person and the idea. And the production of the idea is not necessarily a direct reflection of the person. Right, reader response. I mean, for one thing, it's how (laughs) uh, we say that the Bible is the inspired word of God, um, yet it's written by human means, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And we could get deeper into that, but... um, yeah, I don't know. It, there, we make a mistake sometimes, and we do this with art a lot of times as Christians. Um, often, I, I really doubt that the most popular artist in our lifetime is going to be a Christian. It's just not going to happen. We've removed ourselves so far from the sphere of, of media that a lot of times these ideas we bring to the table are just not nearly as developed or aesthetically pleasing as what the world has to offer. And I don't think it ever will be, but... sure. Well, and that's also specifically here in the West. So like art in the rest of the world, we don't see. Because, because well, uh, we with the age of the culture. internet, I would say that more than ever art in the rest of the world, we do see. Yeah. But we, we in the West, um, we, we do drive culture because of the internet. Mm-hmm. And so there, I think there are, things there there's christian art in the rest of the world that we just don't pay attention to because it's not from here mm. um because we see us as the drivers of art and innovation so like in what do they call it the global church is what people call it now the uh you know africa asia south america yeah. well that's okay. south america but like are you talking about that where art yeah. from those places. I think there's so many of those churches that are probably doing great art that just doesn't get on the internet. That just doesn't do great because it's not their goal. Sure, but one of the standards of good art is how many people it reaches to. Um, oh, I disagree. I think you have good art that literally nobody sees. But when you're when you're measuring how mm-hmm. good art is in terms of world and comparison and stuff, I think you should take into consideration how many people have seen it you should but what i mean is that there's some that just doesn't get seen because yep. it just doesn't get out right so like this podcast <laughs> <laughs> right yeah no. no it would be like the best conversations are never heard mm. like they're they're ha- they they're happening between two people walking in a forest yeah right like yeah that's what i mean is like there's there's a lot that gets out there's most of the music is out and now, if you're going to say, like, not in our time, of course, but, like, a lot of the best artists were Christians. Yeah. Right? But, or a lot of the best musicians were Christians. Yeah. Um, but that's because they lived in cities. Mm-hmm. And so it spread, and they were famous. But there's people, I think, in Africa that are probably painting away in their small house. Yeah. And it's probably amazing and it'll never be seen 
Well, I, I there's think a lot of people a, on this planet. I heard a conversation between um, some comedians on some podcast. I don't know what it was. It was probably probably worthless, but it made me think about something in regards to this podcast. Mm. And it was uh, even if they are comedians, their friend is probably funnier than them. Yeah, they just. <laughs> the one thing they're missing is the desire to get up in front of people and tell the joke. Mm-hmm. But there's a right. good chance all your friends are funnier than you. Right? Yeah. And you're just the only one who gets up on stage and says it. And I, I think that I, I kind of relate to that a little bit as a, as a pastor <laughs> uh, or having pastoral duties is like, there's a good chance that the spiritual formation that happens around a dinner table between people in, in my church mm-hmm. um has more effect on them than anything I say oh. up at the pulpit. Well, and, sure. Sure. and that would be, forgive me, um, mm-hmm. but that's be in the most direct sense because all sanctification is done by the spirit. But, oh, I a hundred percent. Yeah, no, that's what I'm, I'm saying. But even, yeah. even in regards to this podcast, mm-hmm. there are much deeper oh, theological yeah. conversations. There are more breakthroughs that happen by us giving ideas for conversations that'll happen outside of this podcast. Oh yeah. Then within, which right. is why we always encourage comments, which is why we always encourage yeah. an yeah. email is because the conversation that comes from deep, hard hitting questions is probably mm. going to be better than a lecture. Um, or than us just reviewing books. Yeah. But speaking of books, that will not stop us. True. And speaking of books, but, Joel, um, What's well, your before we get there, I think we should finish what you were asking before about non Christian authors, why we read them and the whole idea of that. Um, oh, it's because the ideas are separate from the from the person all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um are they? I think so. And and I think that a lot of times when we engage with media of the culture, we're engaging with the culture. Right? Um there's something that Joseph Campbell um, says in his book, uh, Hero with a Thousand Faces, um, that, and he actually, he, he credits it to Carl Jung, but I think that it's more of an idea that's more relevant to his work than Carl Jung's. And it's, um, myth is the dream of culture, right? Yep. The things we believe and we talk about and the stories we tell, um, they are the dreams of culture. They're the things that are happening beneath the surface, um, and I think a lot of times you, you get, you know, these certain cultural touchstones that allow you to kind of feel what's going on in the culture. We talked about it, um, in last week's episode, actually, uh, even Steven C. Meyer being on Joe Rogan, that mm-hmm. is a moment where we were able to feel the, the dream of culture a little bit because mm-hmm. we were able to engage with the media, engage with the myth, figure out what they're talking about. And it, it uh, also it also shows the desires and values of a certain culture too, one hundred percent. But then it goes on to a larger scale when you get into archetypes and, and things like that. Um, I wasn't going to re- review it for this episode, but do you guys want to talk about the power of myth by Joseph Campbell? Uh, a little bit, because that's a really good book. Well, that's up to you because you're the only one that's read it. <sighs> yeah, and and honestly, I haven't finished it. And I wouldn't even (laughs) recommend you finish it, but he's got some big ideas in there. And I think confronting them is a good idea. Um, He is kind of new agey. He's kind of all paths lead lead to God. Mm. And um, I see. 
And here's the thing. I've always dismissed that idea as being badly thought out and a terrible universalist um, kind of everybody's right. Everyone gets a star kind of a thing. Tell me how you really feel. I still feel like that. <laughs> I still feel like universalism is um, an unobserved life. Um, you, you ultimately, you don't care enough even about what you do to make a difference in the world, right? Do you truly believe something if you don't believe it would work for something else, someone else? It, it's, it's a weird thing. Anyway, so uh, Joseph Campbell, he's a literary critic um, who does a lot of work in archetypes. I, the book I mentioned before, Here with a Thousand Faces, is kind of his magnum opus in a lot of ways. Um, Joseph Campbell's the guy who did the hero, like he kind of coined the hero's journey idea, right? Yeah, and it's hard to say coin the hero's journey because it's more like he observed the hero's journey yeah. and then made a 27-step formula for what the hero's journey looked like. Right. Right. Um, he writes a book called, he doesn't even write a book. The book is a uh, kind of a recording of an interview that he did um, back in like the 40s. Like there's, there's bits in it from like George Lucas talking to him. Oh, really? Right? Yeah, it's super interesting because he's, he is in the culture talking about the culture. Mm -hmm. And... Um, some of the things he talks about, um, he has these weird interpretations that kind of like link Hindu myths in with Christian myths, with everything else. And what he, do, what he tries to do is he tries to see the commonality. And I was reading through the book, and he was talking about how, um, you know, the, the serpent is supposed to be a, a, uh, a sexual symbol of sorts and all these kind of things. And there's been heresies based around those ideas before in the past and more of like Gnostic teaching and things like mm -hmm. that. Um, but as I was reading it, I was, I, I almost felt like he was, he couldn't see the, the forest for the trees a little bit. You know, he was looking at all of these myths and he was looking at the way they were intertwined and tangled and he didn't realize that there was actually something behind it, that there was an archetype. And, and it kind of made me think of the ontological argument for God, which we've brought up a couple of times on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, and he kept on confronting myth after myth after myth, and there would never be an answer. Right, it's like all these stories were a weren't exactly a means to an end. They just they were just stories, right? And when I first read him, like three years ago or whatever, came across his ideas, I thought, "Wow, this is so deep." And then I've revisited it, and I've realized it's trying to avoid being deep. It's not taking any of the mythology seriously. It's not mm. taking any of mm -hmm. the ideas seriously. It's not seeing the development of people as something that can actually be achieved, but rather something that is imagined by culture. Um, and what we have in Christ is an actualized faith with an yes. actual hope. Um, well, because okay. if you're, well, this is, this is interesting. It's to your point is that he saw this pattern of this hero mm -hmm. in all these myths. Yeah. Different myths express different aspects of this hero. Uh, what he should have seen, like you're saying is, is that the hero it's describing is Christ. Yeah. Um, and like it's, it's less so the hero is describing as Christ and more the archetype, the perfect archetype of all the mythologies yeah. is completed in Christ. Yeah. So it's not that Christ is the background actor in all of these myths. No, no, no that's what I mean. It is yeah. that all of these myths are an element of Christ that doesn't quite make the cut. Yes. Um, the, I, yeah, I have, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to continue. The, but what's interesting about that is C.S. Lewis makes this point. 
because Tolkien made this point in C.S. Lewis's conversion, which is that because Christ is the true myth, Mm. um, he was the one that descended from the realm of the myth into the real. Mm -hmm. Um, And suddenly, for the first time ever, the myth was a real person. Well, I've seen people... Uh, it's more of a new thing that kind of died out because people are starting to be like Jesus actually existed with the whole Jesus didn't actually exist movement back in the day. Um, there was the idea that Jesus fulfills the hero's journey in almost every single step um, to an extent. Well, less so the hero's journey and more like the archetype of the, of the mm-hmm. hero, the art, like these different archetypes that you see in history kind of thing. Why do you think that Jesus does fit that kind of mold pretty well? Because we, we, we're talking about how he fulfills the myth and all that, but mm-hmm. um, do you think that's actually a thing, or is it just something that coincidentally is true? And why? It's reading the whole thing backwards. Like, Campbell draws this pattern out of hero myths. Mm-hmm. What other hero myth do you have than Christ, right? Like, like sure. we talked about it in, like, Knighthood, right? I will show you the way that Christ lays down his life and sacrifices. Yeah. Okay. Well, sacrifice is a distinct part of the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And I would argue the reason it's even in there is because the most well-known figure, the archetype that all honorable men will desire to be, nobody says Jesus is a bad guy. Right. <laughs> like, that's true. As many that's people true. say he either didn't he, exist or he was teacher Even people who whatever. hate God, mm-hmm. ironically, will still say Jesus was a good guy. Like, yeah. like Stephen Fry, who absolutely hates yep. the monotheistic... Sam God. Harris. Yeah. yeah, we'll say Jesus is nice. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to be like Jesus? Even the <laughs> yeah. Jew, like a lot of modern Jews are like Jesus is great, pretty chill dude. He's just, just a heretic. Wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, anyway, so I, I think that um, saying like there's no way to say Jesus is just a myth because he only because he so perfectly fills out the hero's journey. Like, it's not like, oh, he was a designed myth to be what we all believe myths should be. No, he was a a sacrificial hero conquering everything. Right. In in this, uh, we'll say the myth, but we're saying the story, the narrative, whatever works. Well, um, well, we should make the point that myth doesn't mean fake. No, but not it means truths that can be yeah. communicated by narrative means. When people say myth, they mean legend, but that's not yeah. really... Yeah. I don't even know if they mean it. legend. Well, legend is just a fake myth, basically. Um, but maybe, at least from what I know. But uh, I, I would argue every time you use the word myth, you have to define it because it's become like cult. Yeah, myth needs to be used as it's a literary style <laughs> used in religions to describe events of gods or demigods or creatures to describe theological positions by that religion. I think it's actually simpler than that. I think that a myth is a um, intangible idea narratively told through tangible means. Like a story? Yeah. Well, yeah. Most are stories. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's, but it's, it's not describing it's, it's, the narrative specifically mm-hmm. is describing stuff that is religious. Well, not all, not always. Like you can you can have biographies that follow the hero's journey and stuff like that too. 
Yes, but the hero's journey is not a myth. Myths are in the the hero's journey is an aspect of the myth. So sure, but you like the modern myth. Uh, kind of cringe to call it modern myths. Is that the culture's modern myths are like Star Wars and superheroes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yes, they're the closest thing we have to mythological stories that we tell ourselves. Yes, and the Avengers are about gods. They make that point in Age of Ultron. Yeah, they do. And so that's what I mean, Super is cringe. that they, these characters are gods, demigods. They're religious figures that people worship. That's why you go to a temple called a theater to watch the accolades of the gods happen. Yeah. It's the same thing. Um, it's, and it's describing a world ethic derived through this story, and it uses <clears throat> archetypes like the hero's journey, or it uses an archetype like the, the two brothers, or mm-hmm. it uses an archetype like the fall but see i I actually think it's because i i've talked to people about this a little bit i i Mm -hmm. think that it's it's not less so it's describing gods but rather describing man the idea is that a myth describes an aspect of humanity or its culture more so than it talks about um the aspect of the thing that they desire like the 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 outside thing it's the inside thing absolutely that's people that's that's absolutely but it's but it's always but it's using god's as the means. So that's what I mean by the story is always about the gods. Like it's the gods are what you see, but it is describing like, for example, the myth that is Genesis three, right? It's, it is a myth. It doesn't, it's real, but it is a myth. It's written in the myth format. It's describing our sin and it's describing our being made in the image of God, but it is a story about a God making man and man falling. Sure. And so like, that's what I mean is that it's, it's about powerful, deep divine moments mm. describing realities about the world, deep realities, you like so? our positions in life, yeah. the I, I, relationships between people, the right. relationships with the, the transcendent stuff like that. Right. But like, I don't want to say power fantasies. That's not fair because power fantasy is a specific idea, Mm -hmm. but I guess there are two types of myth, at least from what I can think of is that you have the more godlike, the power, um, not powers and like someone has power and uses it, but, um, powerful, strong emotion, Mm -hmm. um, or, or idea that it's trying to get across. But the other one is more human bringing these ideas down to people rather than bringing people up to them. Um, that's I've I've seen myth I mean, more as describing the culture and how the culture the, perceives what it finds valuable more so than it how it describes what they what they uh, want to be more no, how no, they are than what they no want no to I be. agree with you it's the Genesis three myth is telling us how evil we are right sure I'm not talking about yeah but Bible but. the 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 story of Zeus killing Cronos. Uh, Mm. Uh, to rescue his brothers is describing the cycle of us killing each other of the, the cycle of the destruction of man. We kill our fathers all the time. Um, it's, it's describing the depravity of humanity. That's their version of a fall. Um, the death of the father, uh, mm. all that stuff, right? It's describing real human, tangible, deep human things, but it's using gods to describe them. Um, the, would you, would you say there's a difference between 
like that as a myth versus like, um, say you you live in a tribe and your your grandfather hunted a a, a lion, mm-hmm. and he is he is uh, Grungar the the lion killer. I don't know. Um, and mm-hmm. you tell the myth of how you're of your that grandfather who hunted them. And it's like, well, the, the the moral of the story in that would be more you can be like Grungar because Grungar was just a man who did these things. This is why you have stories like, um, uh, what's his name? The guy who's really strong, Hercules. Um, yep. Heracles. Or uh, the other people on, uh, shoot, uh, like the Odyssey mm. and, yeah. and all of these things. The problem <clears throat> is that all the Odyssey and Heracles, they're demigods. Well, they become demigods. Yeah. Um, the uh, well, Heracles is born, born as a demigod. Was he? Okay. Oh. We're getting a little bit in the weeds here. The mm-hmm. definition I used was from the book "The Power of Myth" by Joseph Campbell. <laughs> okay. I wasn't saying that yes, is my true. opinion. Yeah, um, no, this is good. In fact, my opinion is actually slightly different and comes from um, a book on Job in the New Studies in Biblical Theology, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that his is he he uses a similar demigod idea, but um, yeah. more that it's a relation to God, and that's because there's the the cult to adventure, and then there's the bestowing of power from a God, and then yeah. there's the descent into the underworld, and then there's the return to help with what you found. Yeah. Like it's it, that's yeah. the basic tenets of it, but there are more um, kind of idiosyncratic things with it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that it's something we have to be conscious of, uh, conscious of as we consume media, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, as that's we. What I was well, because ultimately, if we're feeding ourselves bad mythology, we are going to believe the intangible thing, but we'll never have a way to actualize that myth without seeing the horrible consequences of its actions. Mm-hmm. Like, have you ever heard of a, a dream is supposed to be basically a test simulator to make sure you don't die if you come to the situation where yeah. you are falling off yeah. a cliff or whatever? Yeah, and nightmares yeah. are to... Uh, make you repeat the bad thing that happened so that you never do the bad thing again. I suppose I've heard. Yeah, no, it's yeah. like a. I don't want to get too necessarily like, do, but like you, you avoid the bad yeah, thing. You're again. processing it, so you see yeah. you see what you can uh, change. Yeah. yeah, and and Campbell does do like a little bit of psychological interpretation, just because he uses uh, even Freud's dreams as a lot of his proofs. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, hmm. yeah. He will. He was writing at a time where it was very popular to be reinterpreting mythology through this um, pseudo-psychological lens framework, which is why he uses like Man and, Man and the Symbols by Carl Jung and things like that as his quotations. Um, right. But wasn't he more on Jung than Freud? Only because Jung was more recent and interprets okay. ideas by Freud. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't well, well, what's interesting about the point you made earlier on before we got sidetracked into what a myth is, yeah. um, the the idea of Christ being the hero, or, yeah. sorry, yeah, um, he's the best version of the hero. I think it's because the reason we see all of these archetypes mm-hmm. in myth, mm-hmm. these aspects, the hero's journey, the death of the father, the two brothers, all that stuff, is because there is the reality that people are seeing is that there's a whole idea in Christianity that we can sense God, we can we can know God, mm-hmm. but it's obscured. There's an obscure yeah. right. relation. And unless you have special revelation, the Bible, the word of God given to us, or Christ himself, yeah. you're seeing through a blurry image. 
uh, a cloud, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you're only seeing the shadow. And I think myths are the shadow of the reality. And the reason we see it so clearly in Christ is because mm-hmm. that's not they're describing him yeah. in that the story of Zeus is about Jesus or Osiris Ra is about uh, Horus is about Jesus. Mm-hmm. But in that they're describing a characteristic of an ultimate good, an ultimate truth, mm-hmm. an ultimate yeah. beauty. And mm-hmm. those things are what we know about God, but because we're seeing through the blurriness or because of our sin obscuring our ability to mm-hmm. accurately relate with God, yeah. it's coming out blurry. Yeah. So would you say then it's our our human obscured perception of God? Like even mm-hmm. back in the day and raw without the Bible, without the Jews, without well, God I think interacting this with man. Goes even to what we talked yeah. about the the Bushido is yeah. that it, all beliefs can contain elements of good or of truth in them. Exactly. This does I was not, about to make that yeah, statement. Right? Yeah, right. Like but the here's the thing is and, and you'll see this a lot when you get into um new atheist arguments and things like that. Just because you can relate two things mm-hmm. don't doesn't invalidate one or the other. Just because sure. you can relate um Osiris's story and Christ's story um does not mean that they are the same mm-hmm. in quality. No 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 and that's the point is I would never say they're the same. Mm-hmm. I would say that the aspects that are presented of yeah. raw that match with Christianity are what is good. Yeah. The parts that don't match are the obscuration, yeah. are the sin. Mm. And so the the reason why we're seeing, so, so to speak, three of the 27 points in one myth, mm-hmm. seven of the 27 points in another myth, yeah. right? But you see all of them in Christ, so to speak. Yeah. Um, is because he contains the whole truth, the mm-hmm. whole beauty, the whole good, yeah. whereas they contain aspects of it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they're they're far inferior. Zeus is a deplorable character. Yeah. But there are aspects of him that are noble, or there's aspects of Bushido that are noble. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not the whole truth. Yeah. And I think we can safely yeah. say, in our um, actually, is is there anything else we really want to touch on before? We kind of wrap up. Well, the the, the one thing I was because uh, we were talking about myths and mm-hmm. uh, whether or not they're good or bad, or especially non-Christian myths and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about non-Christian literature that has aspects of good, aspects of well, if we want to call it Christianity, especially nowadays, mm-hmm. um, whether it's fantasy, whether it's uh, sci-fi, whether it's just uh, fiction in general. It Mm -hmm. could even be a biography about someone. They're doing kind of the opposite, where rather than Christianity, which takes, and you you see a lot of these aspects, it it relates a lot of aspects of other cultures to itself. Um, It's like, oh, all these good things that you see in your culture, actually Christianity emphasizes those things too, Mm -hmm. so come be a Christian. Um, It's doing the opposite. It's saying this Christian background, Christian idea that culture used to have, that it's kind of losing itself right now. Our culture doesn't really, it's lose, it's mm-hmm. a Christian culture that doesn't believe in God, um, which is falling apart. It's taking these Christian ideas and then doing it for its own purposes. Uh, mm-hmm. These authors, these people. So um, I wouldn't say Ken Follett with Pillars of the Earth or um, whatever of the last. The Way of the, the Samurai. The Way of the Samurai. I don't, the Last I Samurai with Tom Cruise. No, I know. That's why <laughs> my brain goes to. The, but, the um, Way of the Samurai by Inazo Natobi, who, right. who was a Christian at the end of his life. Right. Yeah. Um, That's when it counts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or other books that take Christian ideas and then kind of 
because we did lightly talk about like death of the author, author, um, how the author's opinion on its own work doesn't really matter. It's about the person who interprets it, not fully reader response theory, but you know, that kind of idea. Yeah. Um, we, we talked about that. Do you think that media, uh, any kind of media, books, movies, TV, uh, websites, whatever you want to call, uh, you want to say, just even talking podcasts, um, that the, the intention of the author will bring people more towards what they want it to be rather than uh, just how they interpret it themselves. Like how the, I, I personally don't really believe in death of the author to a full extent, only with some things um, because the author has an intention with no matter what it makes. Uh, so pillars of the earth is not meant to bring people to church. It's more of an appreciation of it. Um, you could make an argument then that actually takes people, like it could bring some people to church, but it could bring it away because it's a non-Christian doing it, and it's more trivializing the church rather than the heart of it, which is God, um, kind of thing. Um, I wouldn't make that argument. I don't think that's true. But um, do you think then that reading non-Christian literature that has, or even if you don't agree with me, that if that was true, if Christian literature or non-Christian literature has the author's own ideals of non-Christian um, living? Are written into the book from the from the heart the mouth from the heart the mouth speaks is that the the right yes. phrase um, is that a part of literature itself? I think that's a huge topic to introduce right now. Sure, but let's talk about death of the author for a second. So what you mean is that you can completely separate the ideas of the author from the art. I don't even think it has to be complete. It just has to be. Uh, some degree of separation. The the author um, guides the reader into what they want them to take from it. By by nature of them being the one who wrote it and the phraseology that they use, people don't just come to random conclusions about the ending of a book. They'll they'll do whatever the uh, through the wording. Say they portray a character in a more negative light or or a more positive light through certain phrasings, through certain portrayals of characters and certain plot mm-hmm. points. You are supposed to feel certain ways about certain plot points, about certain things, because the author wrote it that way. Mm. Um, not in a, like, I'm trying to manipulate you into feeling this way, but, you know, if you try to convey emotion, if I say it angrily, you're going to believe something. And if I say it really happy and, and lighthearted, and people do that in books all the time, that's going to change how someone perceives the outcome of a book or, or if, the ideas of a book. And if those are non-Christian, does that matter? Um if people are compelled to obey the whims of the book. What do you mean? Um, people aren't, it, it's not a, it's not a direct cause and effect. We can use using a big term here, metacognate. So we can, <laughs> is a big term. <laughs> yeah. So we can think about, I, we can have ideas about ideas. Yep. We're, we're not at the whims of the book. So when I read the book, and yes, the author is trying to present the uh, image about the character, but I can know he's trying to present an image about the character mm-hmm. and analyze that. So I'm not at the whim of what the book is saying. Hmm. Sure, but if, at least for the vast majority of people, if you're not reading something that is about ideas, like something that is a uh, political or philosophical book, um, people aren't going to... I don't think people typically think, oh, I'm not like, they don't think about that. They don't think about the meta behind it. They think about 
how their favorite character, the main character, how they perceive the world in front of them um, and the other characters and, and the plot uh, in, and what's moral, what they find moral and then adopt it into their own lives to some degree because whatever you read and whatever you sink your time into, people, stories, all these become aspects of you to some degree. I don't think in some kind of magical woozy way. I think just people become familiar with it and then want to adopt parts of it into their life. Yeah. That's why kids want to be Luke Skywalker and stuff like that. Yes. But every conversation at the end of after people watch a movie or read a book is I don't like this character, even though he's presented as the hero. Or I think this character was written poorly. Or. You think so? I that that's every conversation we've ever had with a book or a movie. Mm-hmm. And and like, I know that we're, we're odd in the way we consume media. Yeah. It's, it's but I mean, I see what you're saying, Colton, but I, I don't think we can just say, uh, make sure you're only reading good things because you can't think well enough to read anything that would disagree with your opinion. You know what I'm it's, saying? Yeah. No, I, I, I think that we are instructed to take every thought captive. Yes. Right. And that includes uh, thoughts we come across in media. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and and I think that there's uh, kind of what well, we talk about on the podcast, weigh what you hear with what you know. Yep. Right. Um, so as long as there is a priority in recognition, how about, how about we'll put it this way? If you recognize that the archetype is Christ, then you'll have no issue seeing Christ in the less optimal archetypes. Mm-hmm. Right. When you come across things in culture that are myths that we believe, you'll be able to more easily sift out, well, what is of Christ and what is not? Sure. Right. I'm not saying Christ is, is necessarily the author of the lesser myths. That's not, not what I'm saying. But um, I think that if we, know, if we know what is Christ and we know what is um, adhering to God's word, it will be easier for us to sift through these stories with big ideas, um, with huge kind of implications for how to live your life and recognize, oh, that character is selfish. We're called not to be selfish. He's not, he's not heroic and sticking up for himself. He's selfish, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's not um, a provider. He's greedy, right? Like we, we recognize the mm-hmm. corruption of the perfection because we know the perfection. Right. So yeah. I, this, this wasn't meant to be a topic about myths necessarily okay but uh like not but we're we're, yeah because we're talking about non-christian uh literature which are we think we're good but there's a lot of non-christian literature that is not good um that christians read and you know part of this is read we suggested these books for good reasons but um when it comes to say modern culture uh or modern myths that we kind of talked about before um or just even ancient myths uh, people, aspi- there's cultural ideas that people aspire to be there. Um, how does a Christian watch or read modern myths? Like, again, superhero movies. I don't. I mean, like my answer is the but... same. I was just using an illustration from the power of myth. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, if you recognize the archetype, lesser archetypes will be less attractive to you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Or at the very least, you will be able to learn something from the lesser archetypes because they will illustrate something of the grand archetype, which is Christ. Yeah. Well, you know? and the every Christian should read the book as much or more as they read other books. Right. The Bible. Yeah. The you you should be familiar with God's word. It is the way 
as we described at the beginning with C.S. Lewis, I believe in Christianity because not be, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun, not because I see it, but by it, I see all else, mm-hmm. right? I don't see, like I read a book, right? And I see that it exists and I understand it, but it's through the lens of the book, the Bible, that I see this book. Mm-hmm. It's not through its own lens. Um, and as a Christian, that needs to be the ethic. We need to see the world through the lens of the truth, mm-hmm. through Christ, not through its own devices. Mm. I like that. Yeah. I don't know if you like that, Colton. I'm sorry, but I, I just <laughs> I, I like like that. with what I talked about. It's less so about what I believe because I don't. I don't actually. I believe you can read, and even like all Christians can leave, read anything, and because they have the Spirit in them, it guides them. But not everybody is wise enough in their own doing to actually discern the good things and bad things. The, the reason I bring it up is because it is a like popular enough idea that um, Christians should abstain from other forms of media because it'll deconstruct how they see the world and it'll deconstruct the Christian morals or it'll corrupt mm-hmm. them or it'll degenerate. People usually use degenerate. And I think because, especially nowadays, that kind of rise of... Uh, people seeing modern culture's degeneracy is mm-hmm. growing and growing. I think that it's actually a little dangerous to think that way to too much of an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think talking about those ideas and why people believe that uh, abstaining from non-Christian media is a good thing, there are so many people who believe that. Uh, it's growing in popularity to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> For sure. But um, again, if you... I did this... Yesterday, I turned on a show and um, I saw something that immediately disagreed with um, a Christian ethic. Mm-hmm. And I turned it off and I watched something else. Sure. Right? So I think I think it's still on the Christian to have self-control. I don't believe all things are, are going... I don't think you should be watching old media. I, I, I hate horror movies, man. Yeah, me too. Yeah, they're a glorification mm-hmm. of the demonic. I is is you know I'm not going to get too deep into that, um, but uh, no, fair enough. That's a that's a conviction I have, and if it doesn't bother other people, I can't see why. But whatever, have your own. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's there's a certain degree of of conviction that should come from knowing Christ, right? As well, um, and not deriving pleasure from that which doesn't derive uh, truth from Christ. It's I'm getting too preachy. No, I I get uh, the end of this one, but I I think that Christians' relation with media is uh, decently unique in our culture. What there's a, it's always the Christian shouldn't, the Christian should be around sinners to bring Mm -hmm. them to the church, but Christians shouldn't hang around sin. So, like, we shouldn't surround ourselves with the darkness. Sure. Right. But we need to go into the darkness. Um, so like there, there's a fundamental difference with that ethic, yeah. right. Of like, I shouldn't, like I said before, you should read the Bible as much or more than you do other books. Right. The idea is, is that you need to, you need to see the world through the lens of Christ. You cannot see the world by its own lens because that's what happens. Like right. what Colton described, which is, you start to, it starts to deconstruct your life mm-hmm. because you haven't 
you're not looking through it with the scaffold that is the truth. Yeah. You're not looking through it with the scaffold that is the word of God, with the, the true reality. And so because you're not there, because you're not you're not steeped in the word, when you you're actually steeped in the enemy, you're steeped in the darkness. So you can go into those places for a moment, for a time, at times, mm. but you have to the the light is your home. That place is in your home. Don't dwell there. Right. Mm. But you can go there. Yeah. And since we have yeah. the well, rock, I guess, mm-hmm. that is God and Christianity. And these these ideals that we like you said is the better myth, the bigger myth. Mm-hmm. Um, we can look at other myths and rather than it de- just simply, which some people believe, just deconstructs what you already think and, and replaces it, it actually can build it up, which I think. Mm-hmm. I brought quite a few books. There's quite a few books I, I had that mm-hmm. I didn't bring that I also mm-hmm. believe are uh, ones that built up my appreciation of the good word and gospel and just what I see as good myths. Um, Pillars of the Earth builds up my appreciation of of God and the, and the beauty of human, why humans should be, uh, build beautiful things for God. Mm. Um, the space trilogy by CS Lewis. I also brought uh, a lot of very interesting philosophical ideas that written discuss. by a Christian, written by a Christian, <laughs> but I wouldn't call it a Christian work necessarily. It's just, it's sci-fi. It's cool. It, it has very heavy Christian themes. So fair enough. But um, <laughs> I also brought a CS Lewis book, but I <laughs> about the afterlife. Yeah. But the afterlife. <laughs> I w- I've been on a, honestly, some of what I'm saying is probably because I've been on like a, a kind of a spiritual warfare kick lately, thinking about it more. But okay. I'll, I'll have to talk about that another another week. Sure. I feel like a good conversation on sp- spiritual warfare could be really interesting. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that the, uh, that your book there, Josh, um, not The Last Samurai, but The uh, Way, Way of the, of the Samurai. samurai. Uh, is one of those things that give you a deeper appreciation of the good things. Yeah. Rather than destroys your perception of Christianity. Absolutely. He only affirms Christianity 100% of the time. Okay. So that's part of the reason why I suggested it is because it's like, it's it's not about Christianity in that that's what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. He's talking about Japan and the samurai, but in comparison. Mm-hmm. And how it's less than he's doing, he's actively writing the ethic we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, but that being said, Joel, what's that? I think we're, uh, we're, we're close to done. We will wrap it up. We'll wrap yeah. it up. Um, I just want to, I don't read Joseph Campbell's The Power of Myth. It's not worth it. You don't <laughs> think so? <laughs> I know that was the point was to I, the book I actually wanted to recommend was the great divorce by C.S. Lewis, which is a clear Christian book written about the afterlife. Yeah. <laughs> I really like it. Both I, options you brought were not what we decided to bring. Yeah. I don't know. I should probably start reading the group chat before I get here. <laughs> Instead of just one glance at the, you know, leaving you guys on red, just reading the little display or whatever. Um, yeah. So this has been second rate saints. Mm-hmm. With Josh, Joel, and Colton um, hanging out on the mics. And I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation. Um, I hope that it sparked some interest in some of our listeners. Um, I would encourage you actually to go out and have a conversation um, with someone close to you about uh, about media. 
mm-hmm. do you consume it? What do you think about it? Like, what what have you been consuming lately? How has that affected mm-hmm. you? Like, there's so many ways you could go with this, and and I think it's something that um, friends should talk about. We should talk about it more. As mm-hmm. as media is more relegated to our phones in front of our faces for no one else to see, it's more important that we talk about it, right? Um, yeah. So thanks for listening this far. Any questions, comments, concerns, send them to secondratesaints at gmail.com. Any time that you would like to check out more of what we do, our book reviews, blog posts, or other such uh, things, go to secondratesaints.com. We also have a chat feature in there if you would rather not email us. Um, If you'd like to interact with us on social media, we've got uh, Twitter, we've got Instagram, and we've got, uh, actually, I think that's it, Twitter, Instagram, threads, threads (laughs) sucks. Um, it does. I think I advertised it on one of the episodes, but I just haven't used it. It's also not Twitter anymore. I'm not uh, calling it the uh, other thing. Bleh. We're not on X. We're on Twitter. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the X is staying around for forever. I hope I think not. it will. It sucks. It does suck. It just it looks bad. It looks like he just found a random font and did an X. No, it's every single one of his companies. SpaceX. Tesla yeah. X, yeah. Te- it's not originally, Tesla X. Originally, um, PayPal, PayPal was going to be called X. It was. Yeah. Anyway. He named his child X Ailshi 12. Yes. That's dumb, too. Yes, he did. Anyways, not coming after you, Elon. We don't want Elon to have any... Uh, we love Elon. Yeah, he was we, on the Babylon like, We love Elon, yeah. We don't want any beef with him. Actually, we do. That would make us really popular, wouldn't no. it? No. Yeah. I don't want it to be the you enemy of a billionaire. I'm putting gas in my Tesla. Take that, Elon Musk. <laughs> you don't even own one. Yeah, well, that's the goal of this podcast is to fundraise for a Tesla. For a Tesla. <laughs> Please send me uh, money via not PayPal. Take that, Elon Musk. <laughs> Anyways, end of the podcast. Let's just end it. Just Love you all. It. Just end Have it. a great week. We'll see you next week. <laughs>